0: Hello, and a joyous welcome to this woman's work—a space where you can hear and read about some amazing women, the fantastic jobs they do, and the paths that have led them to where they are today. So, I am here today with Alessia, Hi, Alessia. Hello. Right, could you tell the lovely
1: listener what it is you do for a living? So, I am a confidence and domestic abuse recovery coach. So, I help women step into their most badass versions, confidence, um, getting them to see that they can create a life of their dreams and they can do that without any limitations or anything stopping them. So, yeah, that's what I do. I help them heal and recover from toxic love. um, I get them to recognise their worth and getting them to see that they can do anything.
0: So I guess a lot of... So the women that you're that come to you are they generally have come from abusive or very toxic relationships yeah yeah, and
1: this could even be that maybe there's a toxic relationship within their family like with a family member workplace it could be anything where there's just like a toxic um experience that they've had that's where um yeah i tend to i tend to women like like that wow okay
0: loads of questions on that but before we we go forward from that um, I always like to go all the way back. Yeah. To little Alessia mm-hmm. and what you were like as a child, school, college. Yeah. Talk
1: us through it. So I came to the UK when I was four from Italy, and my um, I was quite a. I was quite quietly confident. I think. Okay. But um when I went to school, that's when things changed. I was badly bullied for being foreign. Oh god. So, yeah. And then I think and Could you speak you could speak fluent English? Yes, I was yeah. bilingual. So when I, I lived in Essex. Yeah. my mum's Polish, my dad's Italian, but my mum, she travelled oh, no. Europe and then met my dad there. Um and she spoke English. So she would speak to English with me and then Italian from my pan, from all our family. Um and yeah, so so I was bilingual, but I came here and I think I realised what it was like to be different. And that was pointed out so much and a lot about my looks because I was, you know, quite dark Dark, compared to... Nowadays in schools, you get all sorts of different ethnicities, but then it just wasn't like that. So I was very much the odd one out. So that's when I think my confidence got crushed and then I was bullied in secondary school. And it really the making of me was when I went to college. Okay. I wasn't necessarily academic or anything. I'm very much a creative person and a doing person. Yeah. But I've always been um, someone that's wanted to make some sort of change. I just didn't know what. So when I left secondary school, I was the only one who didn't go to uni. And when I said I wasn't going to go to uni, they said I'd fail at life. So I was like, "Mm, okay. What, your teachers? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. But do you know, I think the main reason for me not going is because I wanted to stay with my family. Aww. Again, that, those Italian roots where you stay where your parents are, it's very yeah. much like that. Um, I was very much a home person. I still am, really. blessed them. Like, literally, they live down there. So it's, you know, I'm getting closer and closer the order I get to them, poor things. But when I went to college, I was like, right, I either wanted to do acting because my drama teacher in secondary school completely converted me into wow. it. And she just changed me in so many ways. She really inspired yeah. me. Yeah. Or I wanted to work with children. So it was either real. Oh, I don't know which one. Anyway, everyone was saying you can't be an actor because there's no money in it, there's no opportunities in it, and it was like that those days. You didn't really have dance classes, you know, really, especially in this town. You didn't have unless she went down that, to London. Yeah, or, it just wasn't yeah, like that. I was to London, like, oh, yeah. Okay, I'll do um, work with children. Went to college, and then that was my first encounter with, which I didn't realize till my early thirties with. Um, difficulties women can face with men so I was groomed by a college lecturer so I was 16 so people can argue well you know you were 16 but I was very young really still a child in my eyes and I didn't know what he was doing so he was a college lecturer and he apparently did this with lots of girls and I just didn't know I was very naive as well didn't know anything about boys never had a boyfriend I didn't know what was going on Anyway, so I had that experience, but I didn't know it was bad until my early 30s when I was doing um, the course and I was like, oh my gosh, that's what he did to me. And when I look back, I think, actually, that was horrific what happened to me. And I think that started my depression and my anxiety. So that's when it all started. He then got kicked out of the college. Um, No police were involved, nothing like that. He really love-bombed me. Yeah, and yeah. Okay. Obviously, I was like, oh my gosh, an older guy like giving me compliments and yeah. making me feel special. So he was thirty five at the time gosh, when I was sixteen. So... Yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, and he his office was right by the college. Um, uh, what do you call it? Like the common room we called it, like yes. where you went to the pool and you know had your lunch and everything. So he was always there. And now I look back, I think, oh, God, I remember him always eyeing up all the girls. But I think at the time, you don't see that. I don't think girls are taught enough in school at no. all about any of this. And that's something I really want to try and change. But so many red flags. Obviously, I didn't know yeah. about that. Yeah. So um, he then, how it came to light was he he would, I don't know exactly how he got my number, but somehow who got my number... And he was messaging me. Then he offered to take me home once. And then one thing I remember was I was at a a party at someone's house. And he just turned up. But he was so angry with me because I was at this party. Because obviously there were other boys there. Yeah. Even though I was in a a relationship with him. And that's where he then sexually assaulted me. But he was such an angry man. Really like, I just saw a different side to him. Yeah. And then that's when it really changed. And then... Before I know it, he then gets sacked and everything changes. So, you know, or let go, whatever it well, was goodness
0: for you that that did happen. Though, oh, my because... God.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, I left college with a BTEC. I then went into my first job where I was a... Um, I worked as an Applied Behaviour Analyst Therapist with children on the autistic spectrum. Oh, wow. So, I did that self-employed. And that's when I was like, I want to make a change. Yeah. So, I did that for about seven-ish years, it was amazing, I learned so much, and it was just, wow. yeah, it was
0: incredible. So you were very much your own boss, kind of going yeah. into... Uh, so this is going into schools, isn't it, potentially, so, yeah, and everything, so and, and being school. referred, yeah, Yeah, and it's all, like, word of mouth in the yeah. end. Like, yeah,
1: yeah. when you got in with a consultant within that field, that's then when they'd be like, right, well, OK, here's, here's a therapist for this family. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. It was really, really good when I opened up, because I did work with a couple of families where... Now I look back and I think, wow, they were going through so much. But I was so young, I don't think I saw it. And other professionals turned a blind eye to it all. So, like, alcohol was involved, domestic abuse, I think, was happening with one family. But there was just not enough understanding from my point of view. And the therapists there were like, we're just here to do our therapy and that's it. When actually, no, you've all got a duty of care. Now I know that. From that, I then went into um, um, being... uh, working with families and children so children and families and I did um safeguarding and I did that job for about 15 years wow I I left because of then what happened to i child go on to but in that role I was able to change so many lives yeah you know and I think that showed me what I was able to do don't get me wrong I didn't always do what my role what they wanted me to do in my role Like they very much in the end when a charity took over bring them in, tick the box, let them go I just didn't do that, I was like, absolutely not there's so much work I need to do here and I wasn't all about the data I wasn't all about completing um, something, an activity around helping the child speak, I was like I need to work on this mum, get yeah. her better and then we can change everything yes. that's going on within the home so I was very much like this is hand doing it and that's the end of it. But I was the person that they would give referrals to me when there was child protection, when there was domestic abuse involvement because I was very intuitive. So I could walk into a house and I would know. I'd be like, no, nope, something's going on here or I reckon that's happening, this is happening. And I would go with other new workers that would come on board in the team and I'd go with them and they'd be like, Leslie, can, can you come with me to help me? Because there's something, I don't know what it is. And I'd go and be like, Yep, da, 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 da. I don't know, I just had this intuitive thing within me. And I knew I wanted to help people more and more and more. And I felt within that role, I was put more into a box. And I didn't like that. I facilitated the Freedom Programme, which is the National Domestic Abuse Awareness Programme, which you facilitate to women who have been in abusive relationships. So I would do that with groups of women from refuges, from hostels, um, and it'd be referrals from police, from social care. So I would do that. But the thing I found with that program is it was all primarily around really when I think about it, physical abuse more than anything. Yeah. A lot of reference to the physical side of things. And I didn't find there was enough around coercive control at all. Um and sexual abuse didn't wasn't a massive part of that either. Stalking harassment, I don't even think was really mentioned in it. It just it just wasn't how I thought it how I think it should be, really. So before I got into that role, what really was the tipping point was that 19, I was in an abusive relationship with somebody who was physically abusive. And he was extremely controlling. And what I didn't know was that most people around him were scared of him. But people would say to me, oh, he's so nice. And he would, he'd come across like a really nice person, like really bubbly, really fun. And I'd be like, oh, okay, all right, I'll go on a date with him. And then the first encounter I had, which wasn't that long into dating him, was we were out and I noticed he would never let me leave his side. He was very much like that. And I was, I remember being there and now I am very much an affectionate person. I will hug everybody. I'm like, Hey, and I'll hug yeah, everybody. I'm just like, like that. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah, man, woman, doesn't matter. And a friend of mine, I hadn't seen for so long. He was like, Oh my God, let's, and I was like, Hey, and I gave him a cuddle. Next thing I know is he had a grip on my elbow He took me out of the the place that we were. And his friends followed. And his best friend knew what he was capable of doing. Because he was trying to say to him, hit me, not her. And I was like, what? And I didn't know anything about any of this. Taking me out. Anyway, he picked up in the end a... You know you get those industrial bins? They're massive on wheels. Yeah. He actually picked one up and threw it across the road at me. And I was very... I'm not... I was never very good with confrontation. Never very good at having a voice and sticking up for myself. Never ever been very good at that, which probably goes back to the
0: bullying, doesn't I think it? So. And just kind of yeah, yeah, I think so. And college and you know yeah,
1: <clears throat> so I just almost took it and was just like in shock. I think anyway. And his best friend was like, oh, don't worry, it's just because he's had something to drink, mm, excusing all of it. Anyway, before I realised, I was in deep with this in this relationship where I could not leave because he was so possessive he would sometimes have my phone for a few days I told nobody my parents nobody and on one occasion when I went to go and get a new phone contract I couldn't even do that on my own he had to be with me and I remember being um going along in in it's like a shopping complex and I went into the shop and one of my friends that worked there he was saying Alessia there's this deal this is really really good I was like oh great and then he was like, no, 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 there's this deal, go with this deal, even though it was more money. So I was like, well, I'm going to go with his deal because it's cheaper. That was wrong. Went with that. <clears throat> Next thing I know, come out of there and he does the elbow thing. That seemed to be his thing. The elbow, so he would, I broke my ha- my arm when I was seven. So I got a massive scar along there. And right. it's really, really sensitive. And he knew that. So he would grip it in a certain way that would hurt quite badly because I broke oh. it in so many places. Yeah. And so he did that, I knew what was going to come. So I went into the car, it's broad daylight, sat in the car, and he was going absolutely crazy at me. He was, like, thumping the window to try and, like, raise past me, yank my hair, screaming and shouting at me, punching all around me, just to try and scare me. And I remember looking across, and there was a car full of women, young girls, really. And I literally went, help. Like, sorry, mouthed help to them they just sat there scared and they just didn't do anything. And I just sat there thinking, oh my God, that's it. What am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? Loads and loads of different things happened like that. I then went home to Italy for three weeks, which is a game changer. Because wow. I realised then, I was I'm like, like oh "Yeah, God, freedom. I forgot yeah. what it was like. And I was like, right, when I get back, I'm going to tell him. Now, my granddad, who was like another dad to me, so, was so close to him, he had cancer and he was really ill with it and also I was just like, oh my god, I just want to focus on him, I want to go and see him. And this sounds horrific, but I broke up with this man by saying, my granddad's ill with cancer, he's my priority now. And I know I shouldn't have used that as an excuse, but I think I was so terrified on what else I could say to him. Yeah. I thought, surely that would mean he won't be so angry with me. Because yeah. that, that is a big thing. Yeah, and, no, no, you gosh. Know, yeah. You'd think someone with a heart would go, oh, God, all right, okay. Yeah. No. He then sped off, and I thought, oh, I've done it. Oh, my God, I've broken up with him. Woo! All happy. And then it then started, the nightmare. So it was worse going through the stalking from him than it was being with him. The stalking went on for about three and a half years to four years. Oh
0: my gosh.
1: And at that time, stalking was not a crime, which was just so ridiculous. Domestic abuse at that time was not something that was ever spoken about. I didn't even know anything about domestic abuse. And to me, it was like, that term wasn't something I was aware of either, Mm. domestic abuse, and so you know, it really kind of now when I look back, I think, gee, the amount of women that might have gone through things and never been able to say a, say a word about it. Thousands, yeah, and thousands. It's scary, thousands. really yeah. scary. And I finally opened up to my my mama,
0: and I said, "This is what's going on." Said he keeps watching me. And what was he would do... Was he with do... someone else at this? I'm guessing he wouldn't have probably been on his own all that time, would he, while he was stalking you? No,
1: so he'd go quiet when he'd start seeing somebody. Right. And then he'd come back to me. Or if he wasn't getting a supply from them, he'd come back to, to stalking me. So I think the most break I probably had was like a month or two, literally yeah. max. Um, and it would, I'd finally go, oh, this is it, he's stopping, and then he'd be back again. So what he would do is he would hire cars out, or he'd borrow a friend's cars, So I never knew which car was him. Now, I carried on working, which I shouldn't have done, but I did. I carried on working. And he would... So the road that I lived on, which is that road there, it's like a long road with trees in between. And the lights at night time are literally like three that are lit across the whole street. Oh, yeah. So you can't really see anything. And in the day, because all the trees and the cars like almost cover each other going either side. So we were in the middle... I could never see if any of those cars were him. I'd do a quick scan, but that's all I could ever do. But the way I knew that he was watching me is because he would text me saying, "You're wearing this today. Your mum's dressed like this. Your bro- your your dad's just left the house. Your brother's just walked it." And oh it'd be that. So I'd gosh. think, "Oh my god, where is he?" So it was really, it really affected me and then it got worse and worse and worse. So then what happened was he then, I'd block him, he'd somehow find my number. I'd block him, he'd find my number. Like he'd get a new phone or I'd change my phone number and he'd get it again. So I don't know who was giving it to him out of my close friends, but somebody was. And he then started sending riddles. So I'd hear from him about 50 plus times a day and it'd be like riddles on how he would kill me and he would literally put things like the sun's about to set and so's your heart you know, it'd be really weird things like that and i would think oh my god eventually my mum was like we need to call the police now and i i said like, okay and i got so so unwell um so i had a mental health social worker at the time so that's when i started self-harming and at that time mental health was really bad yeah. like Really bad, but they would only. I literally saw her once. Yeah, um, can't remember her name. I then I had a psychotherapist who I had one appointment with as well. And he said, You've got complex PTSD because of the experiences, you're a self harmer, um, you've got chronic the depre- clinical depression, and chronic anxiety. And that literally, see you later.
0: <laughs> oh. oh,
1: okay. Um, and then I had counseling for two years within that period of time, but I never opened up truly about everything because I didn't feel I could it was yeah. really strange but anyway so you know oh his gosh. talking kept going on and eventually he called the police and when the police came out when I looked back he was so misogynistic this police officer Um, and he was like well my crew's bigger than his crew and he was very like that like well it just yeah we I'm going to protect you yeah. Can't. yeah and that's not what I needed. I was this young vulnerable girl that needed to be needed to feel heard and seen but when he was reading the text on my phone, he was smirking, going, huh, yeah, right. And that's not what you need. You need someone that's going to go, this is not okay. Yeah. Do you know what this is? This is called stalking. He did none of that. Yeah. I'm going to go and have a word with him. But we can't arrest him because it's not a crime. So right? Okay. Even though I said about some of the things he did to me in the relationship, not at any point was the term domestic abuse brought up in this. So they went off and we consistently, daily rang them going, have you spoken to him? Have you spoken to him? No, he's on leave. Right, because no other officer would do it. It could only be him for some weird reason. Right, no, he's come back now, but no, we can't get hold of him. He's out at the moment. Right, Okay. My mum then took it up and even then we never knew anything. Then she took it up again and then finally we got told, yeah, he got spoken to on this date, which was ages ago and he was still continuing his stalking so it was like right okay and at that point i think we felt so alone yeah and so like there's nothing no one could do to help us i've just got to kind of live with it it started to escalate a little bit more so i then had to be taken to work one thing that he did do so he went a bit quiet again i thought thank god and then i remember saying to my mum, so i got into a new relationship and he was amazing this person he really was good to me Got into a new relationship, and I was like, well, I'm actually going to go and see him in his house now. I'm going to do this. So I went to my car, and I said to Mama, I'll text you when I'm there. And I said to, to this guy, I'll text you when I'm there. Um, and Mama, you just watched me out the window. So she watched me. Got into the car. I looked up and down, and obviously it was, night, it was late, and it was dark, so I couldn't really see if there was a car I didn't recognise, or if there's anyone in any cars. I couldn't see that. Got into my car... And then as I went to pull out, this car literally just suddenly from, I didn't see it before, just went past me. And I didn't think anything of it. And I thought, no, it's fine. Because I didn't think anything of it. Because it was a family carrier car. Like, a with lots of stickers People on. People carrier. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. And it had, like, stickers of our family and all these, di- you know? Yeah, I yeah. I thought, yeah, no, that's fine. Carried on driving down. Got to the bottom of the road. And from my parents' bedroom window where my mum was, she wouldn't be able to have seen her this. So she would have thought I would have just gone. So she then, you know, carried on what she was doing. I remember sitting there thinking, "Come on, like why are you not going left or right? I don't get it." And I started to go, "No, it's fine, it's fine." I'm talking myself through it, all going no, it's fine. You've got this. Yes, he's not here. You're fine. No one's behind you. You're all good. Then I started thinking, "This is taking a bit, a bit too long now." And then a the car then came behind me. Next thing I know, is the interior light of the car in front of me. I looked in there their wing mirror. It went on. It went on, and it was his eyes. And I literally sat there and I was like, I'm going to die. That's it. No, he's got me now. No one's going to know. He's got me. He got out of his car, told the car behind me to go in front and I was just frozen. And people will say to me like, well, why didn't you scream? Why didn't you drive off? But when you're in that state of complete fear yeah, and how controlling these people can be, you just, you do it. You just carry on doing what they say what they say for you to do because you're in this frozen kind of I, don't, yeah. I can't explain it
0: Yeah.
1: anyway he tapped my window I put the window down he said you're going to follow me and when I pull over you pull over and I was like okay literally like a robot okay followed him pulled over and luckily it was quite a busy road and then I he said to him for me to get into his car and I was like I'm not getting in the car and then um, he started to talk to me about how successful he now was how he had his own business how he was earning so much money Really strange, like just it was almost like, hang on, all this stalking you've been doing, like what? And but all he was talking to me about is how amazing he now was. And then I remember I I almost like thought I'm getting cold now, I need to go. That was almost like my like little thing, like no, I need I need to go now. And as I went to turn, he grabbed my arm and tried to pull me in the car. This little old man on a bike, love him, was coming up, and he went, Are you okay, dear? And that's when I just was like, and I just pulled my arm away and just went in my car and just drove straight to to my boyfriend's. Eventually he stopped and then he stopped because he then got into a serious relationship with somebody. And this poor woman, um, I know her now, like we've spoken since, and he told her I was crazy because I reached out when I was in my safeguarding role. I worked with somebody who knew her and I said, you need to tell her exactly what he's like. And he said, I think she knows, I think she's hiding it and um he used to beat her real bad and oh when gosh. i she came out of that she's now all happy and fine but when we saw each other we just both had tears in our eyes and hugged each other and i was just like are you okay and she was just like yeah are you and i was like yeah i know you have a little life
0: in you. i know you have a lot of strength left. i know you have
1: and he just repeatedly has has done this to so many women but we were made to feel that our story wasn't relevant it wasn't strong enough
0: Mm. for
1: the police to do anything it's almost like they didn't want to know so then when I was in my safeguarding role got really really into that absolutely loved it did so much training on domestic abuse but most of that training really focused on physical abuse and they were they would talk about power and control and financial abuse and sexual abuse, but it wasn't in a way that I felt would really get women to have a light bulb moment. It was almost like it was it was it happened alongside it all. It yeah, wasn't something it wasn't like that was a soul was, thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And um, so you know, I used to facilitate the freedom program, and at that point, I'd met my ex husband. Well, we're still married, but my ex husband, and he was a very gentle, calm person. So he just seemed safe yeah and he would be quite a gentleman at the beginning but now when I look back I think god you love pumped me so he would say I was the best thing ever and I was this I was that and he would buy me gifts bought me roses but that's only because he cheated on me you know it's all these different things that he was doing he would take me to really nice restaurants I've never had that before so he was just a different type of man he was like a, he was He was like a grown-up in my eyes. Yeah. I was mm, 20, 25, I think, maybe 25 when I met him. I can't quite remember, now. it's all a bit of a blur, but he was, yeah, just seemed like he would look after me. Yeah. So I continued in my role, and I remember doing the Freedom Programme and thinking, oh, yeah, he does that. Yeah, yeah, he does that. And just little bits like that would come up for me. you sort of knew. Yeah, I did. But what I would do is... I'm an empathic person and I always believe that people behave the way they do due to what they've experienced as a child. Yeah. And I think that was the problem is I kept excusing his behaviour for his childhood. Yeah. For his relationship with his parents. For, for, you know, all sorts of different things. He, he then went to be a police officer so he went off for his training so for like 20-something weeks. Um, and my our son had um, severe cow protein intolerance, so he was really unwell, so right. he would wake all the time, so much pain and I just didn't know what it was and at that time they didn't really know either, no, it was they like were lactose that. Yeah. it wasn't lactose, and eventually got him seen quite high up within the hospital and then they said, oh actually I think it's cow protein intolerance, but he never did a single wake up, he never changed a nappy unless if it was wee, but only if I couldn't do it he wouldn't really spend quality time with him he wouldn't help me around the house. He was very much, I'm the man of the house. I earn the money. I have a really hard job now. I work shifts. You don't understand. And I'd be expected to do absolutely everything for our boy. Get up God knows how many times a night. I was so exhausted. I was so unwell. The I remember the first, um, second day after we were discharged, after I had him, we were blue-lighted black back to hospital because I collapsed and I had a serious infection. And even with that, it was hassle for him.
0: Mm.
1: And he, everything was had to be about, about him. After that, you know, I just kind of got into the role of being a mama. When I went back to work, I would work and be the main carer of our son. Again, I did everything. Even if he had rest days, I still had to do everything. He wouldn't Wake up in the middle of the night, still, even though he didn't have to work the next day or the day after. It'd be me, yeah. So I carried on in that in that phase, and then I remember we were he he then asked me to marry him after he hadn't been talking to me for about two three days, and it was on the Christmas day he asked me to marry him, and I remember I wasn't massively excited about it, but I said yes because I thought, well, that's what you do, you know, yeah. that's what you do. You have to say yes, and we have got a boy together, it'd be fine. And he would go through phases where I think he would know that I'd start to draw back from him. Suddenly he'd love me again and then it'd be fine and then I'd go back. It was just a constant vicious cycle with him. Yeah, yeah. The more he worked as a police officer, the more misogynistic he
0: would get. He was
1: like it anyway, but not to this extent. So if
0: ever we... It was almost like the power of it, kind of. Yeah.
1: And very much women are the lesser race, in his opinion. Yeah. So if we he always controlled the tv I wouldn't watch what I wanted to watch and I was never allowed to watch things with cheating in or reality programs so I would do it on the sly and then I'd have to delete it from the history it was ridiculous oh my gosh he was just yeah that's what he was like with the tv and I remember if ever there were sports things that he was watching there was a woman on there he'd be like she hasn't got a clue what she's talking about how would she know And that's what he was like. And he'd say things like that about all sorts of different things, about jobs. He was teamed with a woman, he'd get really annoyed about it. I didn't know how much he earned, never did. Um, He would take three quarters of my wage. So at that time, I earned £742, so he'd take three quarters of that. Um, For? I literally don't know. (laughs) I don't know. He'd say it was one minute it was savings, next minute it was the mortgage. I haven't got a clue. So I'd have a tiny amount of money to survive for me and my boy where I would still have to do the food shop, still have to put petrol in the car, still have to buy myself and him things, like clothes and things like that. And um, I remember being in Lidl and I remember having £30 in my hand and I had to calculate and write down everything I put in the basket and how much that would add up to so I didn't go over. Like, you know, and he
0: was there. God knows what so he was doing. So this is then, what we're talking about here is massive control. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I'd always have to drive him to work as well. So if he started at seven in the morning, I'd have to wake me and the children up at five, if they weren't already awake, drive him to his police station. I'd have to drive back home, feed me and the kids, get us all dressed for school, charm my own work, and do my day. Just because he wanted to be driven there because we only had one car between us, even though we could probably afford another one. Yeah. But he didn't want to get train, bus, nothing and then loads and loads of stuff happened and then i got pregnant with our with my youngest and that's when i'd say the abuse got to a whole different ball game so one of the things was i i was wrapping some wrapping paper in a plastic bin bag and i left it outside and i thought well, i'll put it in the main bin tomorrow i was about 7 months pregnant then it was quite dark it was wet it was cold and I had the children away sort of the children up and I remember coming down and he'd come back from work I think and I remember him being in his uniform and then he said oh you didn't tie that up properly that bad because the wrappers are all over the garden and I was like oh I'll do that in the morning now I look back I think he could have done that I'm seven months pregnant I've been at work plus doing everything for the children and um, and he said no no you're going to do it now and what I try to explain to women is when you're coercively controlled it's almost like you're a, a clean laptop right and you come to them as a complete clean laptop and what they do is over time they program you to know that when they press A you've got to do that when they press B you've got to do that You so they almost reprogram your brain so you do what as they say or you stick to the expectation they set for you because if not the consequence is far greater so I just said okay so I went out there I wasn't happy about it went out there did it and we had at the time a massive thorn bush to the left and I couldn't get in there like seven months pregnant as well I couldn't get down my hands and knees and get it I went in I was cold I was wet and I for the first time ever felt angry at him and I hadn't done that before and I literally said to him I was like, I am so cold and wet now. And he goes, why are you so angry? And I was like, because you've just made me go and do that. And he goes, well, you've missed a bit. And I was just like, I can't reach it. And he goes, well, get on your hands and knees and reach it. And he was very serious about it then. So I was like, right. So I went out and as I was doing it, I was crying. But I felt I was getting more and more angry. Came back in. And for the first time ever, I said he was abusive. And then I was like, "Mm, oh my God, I've done it. I've said it. And that's when he switched. And he just went... So what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I'm going to call the police because that's abusive. And he went, I am the police, Alessia. And that's when a light bulb moment came on for me and I was like, this guy is actually terrifying. Like, I'm scared now. I need to get out. So I started to save pennies in a little account that he didn't know about. I started to create a safety plan for myself and my children. So what I would do in this scenario, this scenario, who would I contact? What could my word be that I could tell people? I um because you knew this through your job yeah, yeah you knew exactly I was very lucky that I did have that um but again when you're emotionally involved in your own situation it's so weird yeah. I can't explain how strange it is I could have helped any woman that came to me in that situation but I struggled to help myself you didn't all wanna, those years didn't see it no we yeah. didn't so I started to do things like how I bought my I bought a kettle, <laughs> little bits like that, yeah. and I would store it away where I knew he wouldn't go. I started to then create my own chronology. So chronology is what I tell all my clients to do. So it's where you start to note down everything past, present, and what then is to come. Anything that they do or have said or have done to you, anything your children have ever said. Any if they come back from when they see their dad, what are they like? Is they do they seem different? Are they unwell? Are they tired? You know. I literally wrote down everything. Everything. So I still got that in my phone and I still add to it just in case. I then, you are able to get half an hour free legal advice through most solicitors. And obviously at that time, because of COVID, I couldn't go and see anybody, but I could ring them. So I rang them and I had that appointment and I noted everything down and I kept that really, really safe. So I kind of knew my rights. I knew in a way what I could and couldn't do. I then did it. I then said to him... I'm not doing this anymore. And this is it now. Like, you can say whatever you want. I- I'm not doing this. I'd like you to leave. And he said, "I'm not leaving." I said, "Yeah, yeah no, I know. I need you to leave because I'm not leaving." A few days went past. I slept on my daughter's uh, floor in her bedroom. He still stayed in the marital bed. And I thought, "I'm not staying in there with you," but he refused to move. He was staying in there. I slept on her floor, and then again, I said to him, "You, you need to go. I, I'm." This is over and I cannot live with you in this in this space. You can go to your mum or your brother or whatever. Like, I'm not going, you're going. So that was it. So then what he did was he then, to be the good guy, because this is what they're very good at doing, he goes, I'll pay for you to have a house, 12 months rent. And I was thinking, what? And I was so desperate to go. I was like, okay, fine, whatever. So other people look at that and they go, oh my God, that's so nice of him, wow. But what they don't realise is, he wouldn't li- let me live in certain places i had to be it had to be approved by him and then he he then um very much was like i'm going to co- you know we can i can still come over and i have dinner with all of you like i'll help you set everything up i'll get this i'll get that it was very strange and he said he wanted us to still be together but live in separate houses which you just think what <laughs> like that no, no that can't happen yeah And, um, yeah, so he thought he could still control me. So he was even trying to set up my bills for me, but trying to be a really nice, helpful guy. And he was saying to me, oh, my God, people on my team at work are like, wow, you're amazing, like, look how nice you're being. But it wasn't, it was all control. So I moved into this home and I look back now and I think, God, I should have stayed and I should have called the police, but I had no faith in them. Because not only did I have my own experience of them letting me down previously, he was in the police. Yeah. And um so yeah, so ever since then I've just been I set up my own business, I had set up two businesses, um, and I'm continuing to help as many women as I possibly can and I want to share my story to try and inspire women to go, if she can do it, I can do it.
0: Yeah. And I want
1: women to see that even those that work within fields where there's they work with domestic abuse, it doesn't mean that it's not gonna happen to them. Yeah. And anyone can be a perpetrator like you know like he is he's a police officer but he's perpetrator of abuse so nobody is ever right you know over, nobody as a, as a victim or a survivor is wrong for whatever choices they've made to stay or not staying in the house leaving the house because i had so many people saying to me that's wrong that you left you should have stayed you know what you just got to do what you have to do to survive
0: mm. he's trying to
1: get that money back off me but i'm not giving it back to him what for the house yeah for the rent that it...
0: so how was your job changing in the last sort of 3 years then yeah. so obviously you set up the two businesses which are
1: so it's the at the time I was a, a confidence and um, transformation coach so helping women find confidence and transform their lives that's what I did yeah and then I also had um, a crystal selling business that I did and oracle readings yeah um that then stopped and then I did um social media management and business support for various women in their businesses
0: Wow! Okay. so
1: um I did that I then was so trying to busy. do a few things
0: I guess you're just trying yeah. to support the family well aren't the thing you? is
1: you know my job they weren't supportive at all at all and I think that was a cherry on top and I was like no I'm not doing this anymore even though I absolutely loved my job I didn't like the charity and their um the way that they would treat their staff and how they saw families as data rather than families yeah you know and i guess because you have
0: been through it and had gone through it and it was just lacking that level of compassion as women we we ignore bad behavior because of certain things because things that have or you like to say but this happened Mm. and then that happened and you know oh well no I know it looks like that, but yeah. it wasn't that because of yeah. da, da 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 da, and yeah. it you know, and it's it's. Um, I don't know. Is that because we want to see the best in something? I don't know. Or what are we trying to do in that instant? That I mean, why why do we? Why do certain women forgive?
1: I think and overlook
0: bad behavior. Yeah,
1: I think you're right in saying we want to see the good in people, and also I I do believe some of it is we want to be loved yeah so if we have a man that's looks like they're gonna really love us yeah especially with love bombing you know you will you'll be like oh no but it's okay because that time he did this for me yeah or no he has complimented me because he said that to me but you almost forget the 10 times he
0: knocked you down in between you know or ignored you or just sort of didn't it's always it's words isn't it there's lots of it's always that that's yeah that level of love is always verbal or it's written or something it's yeah. never in reality is exactly. it exactly
1: but if you're not sure about whether the the person you're with is is um one of the good ones then i would definitely write a list down of all the things that you have felt your gut react to it and then right, sometimes okay. when you
0: see it all like that you go oh god actually yeah that's quite a bit or yeah no that's not great and this is things that they've done or things that they've said yeah, or yeah. yeah think of
1: everything possible
0: yeah write it all down
1: and sometimes when you see it in black and white it'll it will really stand out to you. And also, another thing I do with my clients and with previous women I worked with is I'd always say, "If your child came to you with this, what would you say? If they told you what you're thinking, what would you say?" Mm. And sometimes that's really powerful because you would you want to protect your child, don't you? And you'll mm. go, "Actually, no, that's not okay. No, I wouldn't want them to be with them, right?" So then you need to do the same for you. You know, it's that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. 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 Gosh. So, I mean, what's next then? Where do you want to take oh your businesses? Gosh. Where do I Where start? Do, yeah. <laughs> oh. I've got so... Oh, God, my brain.
1: Okay, so I'm writing a book, so I want to finish that this year. Wow. I have my own podcast, which I want to keep going with. Yeah. And then I have got various coaching programs coming up. So I've got a confidence one all around getting women to ignite that fire within them and find their true confidence in business and personal. Um, I've started up my my business coaching again because I just love helping women to become that really kind of strong, yeah. empowered woman that is independent. You don't need no one else but yourself. You know, that kind of version. Yeah. So I started that up again. Um, and then I've also got a domestic abuse um, heal and recover mini course coming up as well in February so that's yeah I'm really excited for that and then I have my membership where women are welcomed into into the community and every single month there's a different theme so this month is Create Your Dream Life for 2024. Yeah. And in there you get guest experts, you have me as your coach, you get yeah. journal prompts, meditations, tapping, like all sorts of therapies that I'm trained and I do as well. Yeah. Um, and next month is all around self-love and finding your the love within you. And oh, wow. Yeah, so my membership is a really gorgeous community as well. So yeah, there's loads of things. I'm just going to
0: keep going
1: and I want to do some speaking work
0: as well now. Yeah. Going into yeah. schools and educating school systems around domestic abuse. What, if you look back what advice would you give your younger self then? so it's, I always ask people two questions one what advice would you give your younger self yeah. the second one is what advice would you throw out there and I think but let's just focus on your younger self here mm-hmm. as you were and that can be at primary school it can be you getting bullied at primary school or it could be getting groomed. you know what any part of you that you might want to is there any advice that you'd have given
1: yeah I think I probably would say if it doesn't feel right if it doesn't make you happy, go. And that's okay. In any situation. In any situation. With work, know that you can start again. In relationships, get out if it's not right. Because I think I just kept forgiving and kept sweeping things under the carpet all the time. I think it's that. It's about be
0: be, be brave. And it's okay to be brave. But even as like a child, even as like a young girl, I think that's... The... That is the thing, like I say. what we've just described is a lot of pressures mm. on young women, young girls. Um, and how do you find that bravery if you are a 16-year-old girl? Yeah,
1: I think it's learning about mindset and mindfulness. I wish I knew that when I was younger. And I think if girls could read all the books, listen to all the podcasts and really teach themselves about it all, they will
0: be... Such a strong, empowered woman. What advice, then, would you, I guess, throw out there now to anyone, though, of any age? Uh, I'm still probably going to say, let's say, women. Yeah. I mean, you could give some advice to men if you wanted to. Um, Is there any other advice that you would impart? No matter what happens to you, you can
1: always start again.
0: Okay. You know,
1: so... No matter what age, no matter what your circumstances, you can always create a new chapter for yourself. So if you're in a relationship right now and you're not happy and there's a fear of that change and, and, and starting again, go for it. Because honestly, you will never look back. Same with a job, same with starting a business, same with... Really empower yourself and just think, right, what do I want from my life? I want X, Y, Z. Go and get it. Create those chapters and know that you're the person that holds the key to getting what you want so just mm. you know believe in yourself yeah. believe in yourself
0: i don't i don't think there's a better way to end this, path, <laughs> this chat than that <laughs> so Aww. thank you very much it's fine. it's been lovely really nice. if you would like to hear more about this chat see some pics and read about how to get started in this industry and all this role then please go to our website yeah. www thiswomanswork.org. The link is on this podcast page and across our socials. Sincere thanks.